Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With the comparisons to me and Zion and Zion to me, I think it's great. I think it's great for the game. Um, you know, with his, his athleticism, what we all see, his ability to, to, to jump up, uh, well beyond the 10-foot rim, is incredible. I think what's also incredible is at his size, his speed, his agility, his quickness. Um, and then to add on to that, I think he's just a great kid. Every time, you know, the media has asked him questions, he's always, always been right on and very humble about it. Um, he's humble about the fact that he gets to play the game that he loves every, every single day. And uh, I love everything about him from the outside looking in. I've never met the kid, but I love everything about him. And he keeps the main thing the main thing. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where currently you can find us crying on for Zion, more awning for more rant, losing arc for Brandon Clark, (laughs) airballing a J for RJ, and uh, Tommy, you got any more? Can you do one for Rui Hachimura? Uh, Not... Winnie Chimuring. No, I can't, dude. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Nice try. Uh, Anyways, that's where we are right now, slowly but surely engrossing ourselves more and more into March Madness than we are in any actual real Lakers games these days. And uh, sadly, investing in March Madness more than we thought we'd have to this year. Uh, But Tommy, did you know that there are actually still Lakers games currently being played? And maybe even one right now as we record this podcast. It's crazy. Oh, the season's not over? It is not over, unfortunately. But as far as the tank goes, as far as the playoffs goes, it is. I was actually at the D'Angelo Russell Brooklyn Nets game when we officially got knocked out of the playoffs. Um, But yeah, tonight's episode, we're going to get right down to it. We're going to go in-depth into the Lakers' first-round lottery pick, if they keep it, if they trade it all the implications that go into that pick and also break down the Lakers summer salary cap and how that plays a role into what the Lakers ultimately decide to do with their pick this year. But before we get to that, Tommy, by the way, I uh, started Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. Alan had recommended it to me. He told me that you recommended it very strongly to him. And I hate scary stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. But he told me there's a lot of depth involved, a lot of really good character development. So me and my girlfriend started watching it this weekend. And uh, in spite of the random jump scares here and there, I'm very heavily engrossed into all of these characters now. Uh, It's kind of like This Is Us or Seventh Heaven plus American Horror Story. Yeah, it's like weirdly, I mean, it it is a horror show, but there's so much more to it. And I will say the jump scare stuff, once you get past like the first two or three episodes, I feel like they really... There's like not, they don't even do that anymore. Yeah. So if you're on the fence with uh, scary slash horror type shows, um, I'm a wuss when it comes to that, but I started it and uh, I'm actually enjoying it very much. And uh, yeah, at this point, 
I'm on the edge of my seat. In a weird way, there's some elements of heroes in there too, with all these connecting storylines and flashbacks and whatnot. So again, if you need a Netflix recommendation, The Haunting of Hill House. Um, also, just getting the plugs out of the way, as usual, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate interview us on iTunes because the more you rate interview us, that's how many big baller brand shoes will be tossed into the recycle bin and trashed over these next few days because big baller brand is uh, no more. And uh, Lonzo B-B-B. Ball is free at last. Free at last. Thank LeVar Almighty. Oh, Lonzo Ball is free at last. <laughs> <laughs> and ironically, in the process of uh, losing his big balls, Lonzo has somehow come out a better man. Wouldn't you agree, Tommy? Yes, I would. <laughs> cool. Um, okay, big baller stuff out of the way. Actual Lakers basketball out of the way. Let's talk about the Lakers' first-round draft pick, which in this current stage, it will probably land in the number 9, number 10 range. I had been hearing a lot of stuff recently on Twitter, or seeing a lot of stuff on Twitter, of fans pretty much saying, why are we even delving into these draft prospects? The Lakers are going to trade it anyway. LeBron James' timeline is pretty short. His window for his window for contention is is really small. The Lakers cannot wait around by bringing in another lottery prospect. And you know, three months ago, four months ago, I think all of us would have agreed with that sentiment. But as we've delved deeper into one, just the shifting circumstances surrounding the Lakers, you know, our pick going from what we had thought would be a 18 to 23 sort of pick to all of a sudden it's a lotto pick that can go anywhere from number 10 to straight into the top four. So it's gone from changing circumstances also to just us understanding the Lakers salary cap situation more going into summer and how that is so interdependent on, or the Lakers draft pick being so interdependent on that. So yeah, tonight we're here to talk about the draft pick and all the different ways the Lakers may go about utilizing it in their future roster building plans. And like I said, we're going to put the Lakers summer free agency and cap situation into context to outline why the Lakers handling of this pick may be a little trickier than it seems and not as clear cut and dry as the Lakers need to win now and they can't waste time drafting another young prospect with potential and wait for that guy to develop. Having said that, it's not like I'm out, outright going to say the Lakers aren't going to trade that pick on draft day or they're not going to trade it at all. I just think the the order of events that the Lakers have to line things up accordingly may not be what fans think. And so, spoiler alert to kind of just bury the lead a little bit, I think that the Lakers are definitely tangibly going to be drafting someone on draft night and actually picking a player so you're actually going to see a physical person walk up there get the lakers hat etc etc um i think i'm at least 60 40 in in being confident about the lakers actually drafting a player whether or not that player stays a laker come the start of the regular season next year is another is another question altogether but as far as the lakers drafting a player i think that's more than not is going to happen so before we get into why I think that way, and Tommy, I guess for you, where where do your percentages land with regards to are the Lakers going to actually draft a tangible player or tangibly draft a player, or are they going to trade that pick on draft night? Where do you stand? And we can get into the details later. I'm probably 90 plus percent they keep it. I even, I might even be... 90-10? <laughs> what was your breakdown? Did you give an exact breakdown? I, I, I think I... I was more 60-40. Oh, in terms of them keeping it? Oh, no, I'm way, way... Or, sorry, in terms of them drafting a player, are you saying? Yeah, in terms of them drafting a player. In terms of them drafting a player, I'm pretty much 90% that they do it. And we'll get into the reasons. Cool. I I think I'm more 60-40-70-30. But, again, to preface everything, when we say that the Lakers are more likely to keep it, we're strictly talking about at least keep it through draft day and actually pick a player. Yeah, that's that's all I mean. I'm not talking about keeping it forever, but... Yeah, for sure. Okay, so obviously, again, we're here to explain why the Lakers trading this pick is not a near certainty, or at least the way that some fans are making it out to be a near certainty. So first, Tommy, let's start with some superficial ancillary reasons why the Lakers may keep their pick versus trading it. Uh, and then we'll get into the concrete salary cap 
details of why they probably it would probably benefit them to keep it. So the evidence and arguments that I'm about to throw out there are probably more subjective and a bit superfluous in nature, but I think they may still factor into the overall decision of our front office to keep our pick. So do you think what happened to Brandon Ingram and his DVT injury throwing some doubt into his long-term future, not only as a Laker, but also as a basketball player? And regardless of how positive a prognosis he's gotten since his surgery, do you think that that may weigh on the Lakers' brass a little and make them a little more sensitive in trading away this top 10 pick? Because maybe they may view it as recouping value for BI in the unfortunate and unlikely event that he gets another blood clot in the future, or maybe just using it as insurance. And maybe even if it's not about insurance or recouping value, could it be possible that on a very human level, the, the BI injury may have put in a little scare, may have scared them to be a little more cautious about just giving this Lotto pick away for any sort of win now veteran help that they can get? I think the BI injury definitely plays a big role. Um, you know, beyond the reasons that I'm, we've probably talked about in the last, in other uh, other episodes, which is mainly that I think BI doesn't really have that much trade value now that his uh, he has this issue. Uh, I, I, but I still think the injury also has the effect of making us hold on to that pick probably a little a little bit more than we otherwise would because. Look, despite the pro- positive prognosis, anything can happen. You know, we've got guys who we drafted who were guys that we, you know, spent high picks on who we sent away, or, you know, for either let go or sent away who were playing very well. I think it's a combination of all these things, you know, like we saw firsthand this season LeBron's mortality. And not to say LeBron had a bad season or anything, but we're not getting like 2006 Kobe Bryant or something. You know what I mean? LeBron is, is in the, Mm. at the end of his career, he's not at a stage where he uh, is going to carry your team despite that. um, And you know, maybe that I'm overstating that a little bit, despite that he is still like a top five player in the NBA to be clear. Um, But he's not going to put his head down and just, even when he was in his prime, really, he wasn't like this. He, he's not going to put his head down and go, you know, run off 20 games of scoring 40 points in a row. You know, so given mm. all of these things and especially the BI injury, I just feel like it has to be creating some sort of sentiment around the team of like, okay, like we we lost two young guys at the deadline this year. Um, we've lost other young guys in the past couple – like we lost – uh, I won't count Clarkson because he was a little bit older, but we lost Nance last year. We lost uh, Randall, obviously. We lost Russell. We lost Fee. Uh, we lost Zoo. Like, that's fine, but we also don't have a lot to show for it. And this is a rare opportunity, yeah. like, for the team we're trying to build. Theoretically, I know we, we <laughs> like, you know, famous last words, but theoretically, this should be our last lotto pick for a while. Um, and mm-hmm. so you kind of like you want to hold on to that, and I think I, I I just feel like given how everything has gone this season, including the bi injury, I, I have to think that that's just going to make them want to hold on to it even more than they otherwise would. And in the same way that LeBron James is kind of feeling his own mortality, I guess in a sense we're also kind of saying that maybe the front office is feeling the mortality of their own lottery picks or their own rebuild, just because even. As earlier as this, these past few months, just seeing Lonzo Ball go down, B.I. go down. And, and furthermore, you touched upon it briefly, but again, the high tradability of this pick was mostly, before Brandon Ingram went down, tied to Brandon Ingram, I think. Because right. initially, I had always thought that, well, the Lakers are definitely going to take a second stab at coming up with a package for Anthony Davis. Now that Brandon Ingram's future is in question, or at the very least, we know that teams will use his injury as leverage in negotiations. It's almost like, well, what are you going to package your lotto pick with to get a Anthony Davis trade consummated when you know the New Orleans Pelicans are are already pushing back so hard on even dealing or talking with the Lakers in the first place? So that's also another reason why Brandon Ingram's injury kind of weighs, not weighs so strongly on the Lakers' draft pick this year, but it has definitely had an effect on it. Um, on top of it, Tommy, and I guess you kind of touched upon it a little, but do you think that 
along the same lines of them maybe feeling a little more cautious. Do you feel like the backlash that they've gotten for trading D'Angelo Russell and seeing him emerge into an all-star, giving Julius Randle away and seeing him take his offensive game to another level, even add in letting Thomas Bryant go for nothing and Zubats go for nothing. You mentioned it when you said these moves have not really amounted to anything. Do you think that that adds to some additional hypersensitivity on their end where they're now thinking, whoa, hold on. Maybe we should sit tight with this first round draft pick of ours and also slow our roll a bit because we haven't had a very good track record of where this has gone, maybe outside of the Larry Nance Jr. and Jordan Clarkson trade where they were able to get a first-round draft pick and also clear Jordan Clarkson's cap space. Like, do you think that hypersensitive sensitivity is going on where they're like, maybe we need to be a little more patient because patience has shown to pay off? I think there's definitely has to be at least right now, right? some degree of that going on. Um, And I say at least right now because things change constantly. Kevin Durant agrees to sign here July 1, all the plans change. You know what I mean? So it's uh, Kawhi Leonard, same thing. So whoever we get, um, things are changing constantly. And, you know, Rob has talked about this over the years. But I, I do think that that kind of stuff, especially because the media has been so public about it, it's it's funny because the, and and you know Pete and other people have talked about this, but this is the same media who completely trashed all of these guys and said they were worthless and they weren't that good and the Lakers, you know, weren't hitting on anything in the drafts and yada yada, you know, all this and that. And then the second those guys go on other teams and start balling out, you know, and it's not like it happened immediately. I mean, first of all, Randall was really, he's, in my opinion, yeah, he's gotten better than he was last year, but he's playing very similarly to how he played last year, especially the second half of the year. He was like taking over games offensively um, Mm -hmm. at times for us. He was our best player and we've all seen Luke's offense or lack thereof at times this year. And Randall was the guy we could throw it to and he would put his head down and go get a basket. Um, and he's carried that over. Um, but the big one is D'Angelo, you know, we traded D'Angelo and for his first season, he kind of looked the same as he looked here, you know, banged up weirdly, (laughs) this kind of weird, like lackadaisical, (laughs) like I'm not really that into it style of game, but he had his turning point moment, you know, because shockingly some players take longer to hit that point. And, he has been like balling out. I mean, I did not actually, I will admit the first game that I missed this entire year was the Brooklyn game. Um, just because I got busy with other stuff, but I did watch the highlights. Um, and D'Angelo is just like very good now, you know? And it's like the sad, annoying thing is like, (laughs) we all saw this coming from a mile away and they just didn't have the patience. And I think the media has been so publicly like, talking about how great D'Angelo has been and talking about how like every time D'Angelo makes some passive aggressive comment, which he's been doing a lot of recently (laughs) about how like he got traded and, and all this and that. And like, you know, kind of disrespectful, uh, not disrespectful, but like kind of throwing a little shade at the Lakers. Um, which, you know, if I was him, I don't know, I would probably do the same thing. Uh, well, what's worse is I actually think, what's worse is I actually think when he throws this shade, he does it in a respectful, nice manner, which almost makes you feel even worse about yourself. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, he seems really mature now. So he's, okay. he's been, you know, he's been doing this. Da- and, and so the point is, like, these guys are not dumb. Rob is tapped in. Magic is for sure tapped in. They all know what people are saying about them. And they both know what people are saying about them. And so I think that definitely is also going to play a role. Like we saw, you know, firsthand, everybody's seeing the impact the top 10 picks can have. You look at this year's draft, and I know the 2019 draft is not projected to be as strong as the 2018 draft was, but oh my God. I mean, like you look at that draft, the 2018 draft, like top six, seven players, and I'm not even looking at the list. So it it could even be more than that, but all of these guys are having serious impacts for their teams. Um, and we are, you know, historically a pretty good team at drafting. So, uh, at least for the last six, seven years. So we should be able to do that again. And yeah, I mean, like you said, all of these things are, are playing a big role in, into why I think we ultimately keep it. Yeah, and on a more minuscule level, maybe in the back of their minds, they're also thinking, 
maybe I can use this pick as my own redemption project for all the all the picks that well, yeah, I randomly threw away unnecessarily. And people <laughs> have brought up that argument. I mean, you, you look around and people are like, okay, well, they haven't actually and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this because it's very possible I'm overlooking something, but they haven't traded anyone that they drafted. They haven't gotten rid of anybody, any of the guys from uh, last year. They traded Sfee, but like, you know, you could uh, you could make some other arguments about that. But in ter- I'm talking about like their top picks. Um, and so you could make the argument of, like, okay, well, Randall, they view that as like not their pick, not their guy. And you see new front offices do this kind of stuff all the time. And D'Lo, they kind of viewed him as like not their guy. And I'm sure Magic, who's famously, you know, gym buddies with Byron Scott, got to hear all the nonsense that I'm sure D'Lo is doing in practice and all the immaturity comments. But, you know, until you see it yourself, I don't know that you should be reacting to those types of things, but whatever. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that... I don't know. I, I I think we've 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 summarized it here. I, I I like to not think about the front office too much because they, they it makes me a little depressed. In summary, to close your thought, there's some pride in them using this pick as there's one of their pride. own yeah, again. There's and, some pride. It's it's their pick and making up for the D'Angelo Russell mistake, Randall's mistake, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so when we come back after the turn and hear from our sponsor, we're going to talk about the Lakers cap situation and break it down more concretely. Why? It's not as simple as the Lakers are probably going to trade this pick for the quickest help that they can get or for a pseudo star, star, or even veteran help, et cetera, et cetera. So we will get to that after the turn. All right, Tommy, so let's move into the concrete context of the Lakers cap situation this summer. And I know this might get a little bit convoluted, but I'll try and break it down as uh, slowly and, and uh, as organized as I can. So this summer, a player of Kevin Durant's stature, someone who's been in the league for 10 plus years, that player is eligible to make about $38 million in terms of max players. Now, a player in the Kyrie, Kawhi, Kemba, Butler camp, a player of seven to nine years, that player is eligible to make the max of $32 million, around $32 million. Currently, the Lakers will have about 35-ish million dollars in cap space to spend if they keep their first round draft pick. So their first round draft pick right now in the 9 to 10 range, that pick is scheduled to make about 3 million dollars. So that's already factored into everything. Obviously, the Lakers with 35-ish million right now, they don't even have enough money to outright sign a Kevin Durant who would need $38 million in cap space, right? They would essentially need to get rid of their first-round draft pick and take nothing back to take on Kevin Durant. At this point, Tommy, would you would you agree and say that maybe Kevin Durant doesn't really factor into their plans and that we should be setting our sights more towards that next tier of max free agents at $32 million? I think Kevin Durant doesn't factor into their plans. I don't know if that's necessarily due to their cap situation currently because that can easily change. Um, but I, I, I agree with the general sentiment that I don't think, I don't think that they think they're in this running for Kevin Durant and they have LeBron on their team and LeBron knows whether or not they're in the running for Kevin Durant. So he, he is very likely told them. Right. So if they do think that they're in the running for Kevin Durant, there are some moves that need to be made, whether that's getting rid of their first round draft pick altogether, getting compensation back in future draft picks or whatever, or maybe even waiving an Isaac Bong or Mo Wagner. There are ways that they can get to that $38 million, but right now they can't just outright sign Kevin Durant. They'd have to make moves. Um, now, if they want a Kawhi Kemba Butler sort of player, they can just sign that guy while also still keeping their first round draft pick. So in summary, these are the players that we currently have in my scenario. If they keep their pick, along with LeBron James, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Cal Kuzma, Mo Wagner, Isaac Bonga, Josh Hart, and nothing else, they'll have 35-ish million left to spend with a projected budget of 109 million. That's what the salary cap is supposedly going to be netted out at come summer. Okay, so let's set our sights to the second tier of max free agents, the guys who cost $32 million. Given that they have $35 million to spend even with the first round draft pick, that only gives them about two to four million in extra money or leeway to then take on another player in any sort of trade come draft day 
while not jeopardizing their chance of being able to sign any of the seven to nine year max players come summer. So let's say that we're under the assumption that the Lakers are planning to trade their number 10 pick for veteran help. So like like I mentioned, that number 10 pick is scheduled to make $3 million, right? If you have a three to $4 million leeway in cap space to work with, you can only realistically take back a seven to $8 million player on draft day. I think for me, the biggest question is, if the Lakers are willing to trade their pick for established win-now players, the question that fans have to ask themselves is, if you're not trading for an Anthony Davis or a Bradley Beal, which it's not looking very likely that those two are, are available, I don't know, things may change come draft, they will see. If you're not trading for any of those two guys, well, then who exactly are you trading that pick for? Because, again, you have to keep in mind that any player that they bring in, especially if that player is an established veteran, if this so-called established veteran is any good, he's probably going to be making at least 15 to $20 million. Right. So I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add contextually there before I move no, on. No, I think you can move on. I, I think you summarized the, the issue there. So knowing that you can only take back a player who's making around 8 to $10 million, I guess, Tommy, what, what do you have to say about the sentiment that, well, come draft day, maybe the Lakers know something through back channels and maybe they know which way the wind's blowing with regards to where certain max free agent players will wind up this summer. And maybe even before free agency has begun, the Lakers know they've already struck out. So in that sense, do you think then they would jeopardize their cap space and eat into it by trading their number 10 pick and taking back a player in the 20 to $25 million range? Okay, more possible than the first scenario. I still think unlikely because given how they've been operating the last couple of years, if they know that if they know that they're out on the free agents this year, they're very likely going to punt in my opinion to 2020. So how much salary are they looking to take back on anyway? Um, in, in those types of trades, but, but more likely probably than your first scenario. Mm -hmm. and, and I think at the end of the day, even though they may be hearing certain things and rumors from agents and whatnot, it still benefits them more to wait and see. It right? definitely because they can does. still trade that pick. It it benefits them to just wait. Um, I don't think this year in particular, because of the giant free agent market, is going to be a huge year for trades, or at least for trades with teams with cap space. And then once you like remove all the teams that have cap space or like are involved in the Anthony Davis sweepstakes from the pool of ca trade candidate teams. Pretty soon, it's like you have you you pass a critical mass to where like nobody just like nobody wants to do anything because they want to see how the market shakes out. A, a example that I'm sure there are better examples, but the one that comes to mind um, most readily is when everybody was waiting on that summer, which I think was the summer. It might have been I can't remember. Maybe it was the original Big Three summer, but. The summer when everybody was waiting on LeBron and Carmelo and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and, you know, all this stuff. And it's like nothing happened in free agency, if you recall. Like there was two weeks or so of like nobody signing until the first domino fell and then all of a sudden everybody signed in a day. I, a similar concept for these trades. It's like because there are so many high profile free agents who are going to be on the move and because there's this big Anthony Davis sweepstakes that's going to happen this summer – I think people are just going to wait um, in general. And so mm -hmm. thus, I think the Lakers will probably be one of those teams as well. Yeah, I think even if the well runs dry or, or dries out, the Lakers are going to sign somebody, even if it's like a, another punt guy. Or let's say, worst case scenario, you get a Nick Vucevic. I think they may even weigh that more than, okay, let's, let's trade for Mike Conley immediately or let's trade for CJ McCollum or Draymond Green. Right versus let's just sign Nikola Vucevic, keep our pick, and we can decide as the season progresses whether we want to get additional help and trade our pick later. In a sense, trading now for an established star, or not even an established star, an established veteran, win now help, is almost like a panic move, in my opinion, especially given that they can address some of their concerns in free agency. There's no way that they will know on draft day all the doors that have closed. You know what I mean? They can know some of their big names have closed, but not everything. And like you mentioned, we never know how free agency necessarily will 
how, how it will play out. Things always change at the last second. We always see these surprise candidates at the end where teams can kind of scoop them up. Even in that worst case scenario, the Lakers will sign somebody. So it behooves them to just wait and see how free agency plays out before doing anything with their pick. And there are only a few players, again, who I would trade that pick for now and forego having the max amount of cap space that we can have in in free agency this summer. And those two players are Anthony Davis and Bradley Beal. I don't know if anybody else can think of other guys, even guys like Draymond Green, CJ McCollum, or Mike Conley. If I throw those guys out to you, Tommy, do any of those guys kind of pique your interest? Also knowing that you may have to give up more than just, let's say, the number 10 pick to get those guys. Or if if we jump into the top four, you got to give up that top four pick. I mean, in that case, no. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, I, I think in that case, no. Um, the one that you kind of, you know, is a little bit intriguing to me is McCollum, but I, in your scenario, no. Right. So not only do you have to give up maybe additional assets, but you're already jeopardizing your cap space this summer before you've even gotten a shot to see what you can do with that cap space, right? So just another huge reason why the Lakers will probably end up still tangibly drafting a player in this year's draft just because of their cap implications. They've got $35 million to spend and a max free agent of the Kemba, Kawhi, Kyrie level is going to be making $32 million, right? So they can't jeopardize more than $3 million plus the $4 million that our draft pick is going to make. So 7 to $9 million in total. Um, so I guess having said that, Let's look at other scenarios that the Lakers could employ with regards to trading the pick. What if they package it with one of our players right now, like I just previously mentioned? Does Kuzma and the number 10 pick get you a good player only making $10 million that makes it worth it for you? Because $10 million, you can still have enough to sign a Kyrie or a Kemba. So if you take Kuzma and the number 10 pick, is there any player making $10 million that you can think of off your head that would be worth it to sacrifice both those assets already? To me, absolutely not. And I know people, the problem with these arguments, which I, you know, I'm sure we'll continue to get into, but the problem with the argument of, oh, we need established guys is that it just ignores the fact that like Kyle Kuzma next year is getting paid $2 million. He as a second year player is at what average like 19 a game. I know he wasn't like terribly efficient um, in, in terms of shooting the three ball and you know, he has some holes in this game, but geez, I mean, if you told me you can get a 15 point, even if he dropped moves to the, let's say he moves to the bench next year, let's say his scoring goes down and fingers crossed his efficiency goes up, but let's say his scoring goes down and you tell me you can get a guy, uh, you know, a versatile combo forward who can play a full game if you need him, who score, he scores 15 a game and um, costs you two million, two million, uh, excuse me, two million a year. I'd be like, yeah, get me that guy right now. What are you talking about? You know, and it's it just like people so haphazardly throw these these uh, general ideas out there. And it's like, I know first-year players often don't contribute. I think most of the top 10 players taken this year would be a nice counter to that, um, especially if we're going to be using them off the bench. Um, and you just it's, – it's hard to imagine a guy who had like $10 million – um, at least off the top of my head, $10 million who can give you the impact that two young guys, you know, who are going to come in hungry off the bench and give you all that extra depth. Um, I, I just can't think of somebody who could replace that. And not to mention the continuity that Kuzma already has with LeBron James and any of the other young core you decide to keep. Um, so before we get into other mishmash scenarios, I do have some trade options in the 6 to $8 million range that the Lakers could trade for who would help them immediately, who are more pseudo role players, but they also won't jeopardize their cap space. So they can trade their number 10 pick, bring this guy in, and on day one, he would help make our team a playoff team and still give us the opportunity to sign a Kemba Walker, Kyrie Irving, Jimmy Butler, etc. Okay, so I'm going to throw some guys' names out to you, Tom, and you tell me your thoughts on it. We're going to have to work under the hypothetical that the team's for some of these guys I'm throwing out, it's a huge question mark of whether their teams would actually even entertain 
um, trading with the Lakers for their number 10 or number nine pick. So hypothetically, let's just say all parties are in agreement. So Tommy, would you trade the number nine or number 10 pick for Joe Harris, who's currently making $8 million? Oh, man. Ooh, boy. That's actually a pretty good one. Joe Harris, his contract expires after 1920. So if you want to keep your Anthony Davis dreams alive, I guess you can. So added benefit of him being an expiring. For that trade, I would do it. I, I don't even know at this point that the Nets would mm-hmm. do it, but I would do it. That's a good one. I, I would have, I don't know where you pulled that guy from. Because <laughs> <laughs> Joe Harris, right? He's pretty much, you could like mold this guy into being LeBron James, Mike Miller, or Kyle Korver. He, he's only 27, he too. He's very good. I, and, and it's like, that's the type of, and you would get his bird rights, too, because he's been with the Nets for a few years, right? So, I mean, that that's the type of move I would make. Like you said, we're not going to get into whether or not either team would actually offer this. But uh, assuming I'm the GM that offers on the table, I'd probably pull the trigger if we're not top four. Yep, samesies. And it would be very poetic because LeBron James once had Joe Harris on his team. Yeah. But in a panic move, or not, I guess not a panic move, but because they had I don't know who they other traded plans, for. they just let Joe Harris go. Oh, yeah, they, they just waved him, I think, yeah. So, yes to Joe Harris. Okay, here's my next one. Would you trade the number 10 pick for Montrezl Harrell making $6 million? God damn you. Um, Ooh, boy. Um, <laughs> Montrezl Harrell, I like would definitely watch a lot. Or it's not like I watch Joe Harris a ton, I, I, but I haven't seen Harrell that much. I still... He's on a playoff team right now. He's on a playoff team, and he's looking... I mean, he's had a great season. Do you have his stats handy? I'm just curious. I do. He's averaging 16.6 points, 7 rebounds a game, 2 assists on 61% field goal shooting. Yeah, and I mean, he's like 25 or 26. He's pretty young. He was just drafted a few years ago. I I would probably... He's 25. Okay, so I I would probably do that also. Um... (laughs) Just because if we're not top four, I mean, you're really just at that point hoping that you get a guy who could maybe just be a solid starter. And that's what you're hoping is like upside, right? And if you get a guy like Montrez Harrell at number nine or 10, you're probably feeling pretty good about yourself. And that's going to take a few years. And so if you can just fast forward a couple of years and just take Harrell now, I, I would probably do that. Yeah, because not to go too deep into draft prospects, but we've been, you know, drooling over Brandon Clark. Montrez Harrell is pretty much who we'd want Brandon Clark to eventually be in year three. But Montrezl Harrell is that guy right now who can contribute immediately to a playoff team and will do so as soon as this April. And and with your picks, you always have the argument of like, okay, Montrez was a second round pick. You know, our guy's going to be top 10, higher upside. But upside is like a... That's the risk, right? When you make this kind of trade, you're just hedging. Um, you're 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 not absolutely sure Brandon Clark or whoever can become who you think he's Jackson Hayes, whoever is going to become what you think. But you already have this tangible product in in Harrell, for example. Yep, for sure. And just like Joe Harris, there's the added benefit of him only being an expiring. So, and just like Joe Harris, he can rain threes. When I edit his stats on NBA 2K. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> uh, good one. Uh, okay. Maybe I should have left these two guys uh, for the end because I think they're my best options. But let's keep moving forward. Would you trade the number 10 pick for, and this guy, you may need to move around some pieces to truly make the the salary cap stuff work because he kind of goes over that 8 to $9 million threshold, but not by a lot, so it's possible. Would you trade the number 10 pick for... Robert Covington, who's only 28 years old, is a defensive dynamo, and uh, yeah, you know his you know his resume from the Philadelphia 76ers and even what he's done with uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. But even the stats don't tell how good of a defender he is uh, on the actual basketball court. So, would you trade it for Robert Covington? Robert Covington is more borderline for me. This is just more of a personal preference. I think you could very justifiably make that that type of trade, um, and it would be totally fine. I mean, this is a guy who I think is shooting high 30s from three. Um, like you said, he's a very mm-hmm. good defender. I know he averages – He's. I don't know if he's still in this category, but for a period he was like one of those rare guys who's like a block and a half 
plus and a steal and a half plus per game. He's averaging two steals a game and yeah, a block and a half a game. So yes, yeah, he's in that yeah, category. yeah. So he uh, he's definitely a really solid defender, and you could very justifiably make that move. Me personally, I don't know that I would make that move because that's the kind of scenario where it's like, okay, Montrez Harrell's a center. That's kind of hard to find, especially a small ball center who can run around like the way he does. That maybe is a little harder to find. Um, Joe Harris can light it up. I mean, that guy shoots, he won the three point contest and that, that dude just lights it up from three. Robert Covington has some skills that you can replace, um, theoretically with the top 10 pick. And especially if you're looking at, you know, maybe I'm willing to be a little more patient and look for high upside. He, he, of these options is the most borderline to me, I will say. Yeah. I think for me, what makes me excited about a Robert Covington type player is he's the exact type of player that maybe not long-term you need, but in terms of the playoffs, you know, defense wins championships. And as we've seen with, you know, Brandon Ingram going down for a third of this season every year, he's been an NBA player. Well, Robert Covington is that kind of safeguard for him, even if he experiences another injury. Like on our roster in particular, Kuzma can play the three and you could make a strong argument that that's probably his best position. Ingram is obviously a three, although we played him at two a lot and LeBron is a three and I know that Covington is like pretty tall and he can play, he can, all four of those guys really that I just named, including Covington are switchable. Like you can play them at the three or the four, but I I, I just feel like maybe roster construction is another reason why I wouldn't do it in in that specific case. But if we did it, I would, I probably would not be disappointed depending on who was on the board, uh, on the board still. Yeah, that's fair. But I mean, when it comes to playoffs, you know, you get into the grid and grind, muck it up style ball. That's when you kind of just sick a Robert Covington on the player's best defender. You definitely do. But I, I would argue that Robert Covington himself doesn't have like a ton of playoff experience. He he did play with the Sixers, obviously, but I, I, he doesn't have a ton. That's fair. But yeah, like you said, if it happened, we would not be opposed to it. We wouldn't be as excited as Joe Harris. <laughs> Joe yeah, Harris, give me Joe, Joe, baby. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So next prospect, would you trade the number ten pick for Spencer Dinwads? <laughs> Spencer Dinwiddie, another Nets player, making ten point six million. He's on a very favor- favorable contract, by the way. The Nets extended him this past season, I believe, and he's only making about ten eleven million dollars the next two or three years. Uh, he's currently averaging seventeen points, five assists. The Nets may want to clear up more money for one of their max guys and keep in mind they also need to resign D'Angelo Russell or match a restricted free agency offer for D'Angelo so they might be willing to give away Spencer Dinwiddie not that that matters because in this hypothetical both teams agree to it so would you trade for Spencer Dinwiddie as some sort of a hybrid combo guard to help Lonzo ball out for me that one's a definite yes um I think Spencer Dinwiddie the contract that the Nets gave him and I can't remember, I feel like he's been good this whole season, but I feel like especially after he signed the extension, he's just been on such mm-hmm. a surge. I mean, this guy is, I uh, i don't know actually, does he start for the Nets? He comes off the bench, right? He started and then he got injured, but he was, it was pretty much between D'Angelo, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Karis Levert. Oh, I there see. There's a, always a been like one guy. Season. Yeah, there was a period of time in this season, though, that the Nets were still evaluating out of these three guys, who's our dude? And Spencer Dinwiddie was part of that equation. I know? mean, I just think that Spencer Dinwiddie is a guy, I'm, I'm looking at his number, I mean, you read his numbers, but there are not that many guys in the NBA who can drop 18 points in 28 minutes a game. I mean, we're talking about like as a 25-year-old, if we could bring this guy off the bench and mold him into our bench like sixth man he could be one of the best six men in the entire NBA at 25 years old. I mean, those are like Lou Williams types type numbers, um, mm-hmm. including the five assists. He doesn't turn it over as much as he should given, you know, we've seen him play. I mean, that guy is, he plays super fast. He uh, takes some risks. I, I really like Spen- Spencer Din- Dinwiddie's game. I would definitely do that. And I, w- I really wish he didn't read that off as an option. Cause now I'm going to be uh, <laughs> hoping that we do something like that. And I got to see Spencer Dinwiddie up close, live and in person on Friday. And something that I didn't realize about his game was, dude, this guy gets to the cup a lot and he draws a lot of fouls. It's almost uh, James Harden-esque because I'm just looking at his game log. 
7 for 7 from the stripe, 9 for 12, 8 for 12, 7 for 10, 7 of 7. It's rare to also find guys who are already that offensively gifted but also can get to the stripe, you know? So another plus for Spencer Dinwiddie, Spencer Dinwads. Uh, okay, so I only have one other option to give, and um, it's another Nets player. <laughs> so many Nets guys. Gosh. And this is why I think I bring up the Nets. They have plans to hopefully lure a max free agent. That's summer, true. Right? That is true. And so they're going to have to make some financial decisions while also taking into account they're going to have to give a boatload of money to retain D'Angelo Russell. So my last player, my last prospect would be Karis Levert making $2.6 million. Um, yeah, would you trade the number 10 pick for Karis Levert, who's only making $2 million and you can still sign Kemba, Jimmy Butler, etc.? I Honestly, for me, in that case, I would not. And that has more to do with how injury, how many injuries he's had. I'm not going to call him injury prone, but this guy was injured in college. He's been injured in the NBA. Um, I'm a little bit, you know, it makes me a little bit cautious. I feel like he's the type of guy, you know, he's only 24 and he hasn't made enough of an impact consistently in the NBA that I feel like, you know, 13 points a game, uh, you know, he actually is a much better playmaker than I thought, Uh, but uh, 13 points a game on pretty mediocre shooting numbers, you can probably get that out of a top 10 pick and maybe not 13 points mm-hmm. a game if we're playing them off the bench. But I, I just feel like that kind at that level, if you're able to get a guy who you can develop slowly and it could just be another asset, I feel like that your top 10 pick to me, I also view it as what am I getting back? Does it have as much value? I feel like Spencer Dinwiddie because of his favorable, favorable contract does. I feel like Joe Harris because he's can just light it up does have as much value as the top 10 pick. Harrell, you know, more borderline, but I would argue yes. Covington, same thing. We said borderline. I just feel like you, your number 10 pick should get you more in a trade than what Karis LeVert can. And for that reason, I, I wouldn't do that trade. Yeah, I think for me, I, and I agree, I think Karis LeVert, as promising a prospect as he is, how tantalizing his length is and all of that, the flashes that he's shown, like I mentioned, he was in that same group with D'Angelo Russell and Spencer Dinwiddie where people within the Nets organization and also outside maybe thought that he could be the guy to carry the torch for this franchise. All those things being said, for me, Karis LeVert is still also a project, you know? And um, at that point, maybe you're just like, well, if I'm going to take on a project, even with all the flashes he's shown, maybe I'll just start from scratch anyways and extend how long I have with this guy. Because Karis LeVert is only under contract for... 2019 20 and then after that you have to make decisions on you know his qualifying offer and then restricted free agency etc etc so i think for that reason like you said he's a little more raw than any of the guys that we previously mentioned and um so there's still some question marks in his game that for the number 10 pick you'd hopefully have already shored up because you're also looking for you know all these guys are relatively young within 25 to 28 years but karis levert out of all of them definitely is probably the most raw so and you're looking again for a guy who can bring you day one experience in the nba and karis levert definitely doesn't have that yet so yeah i think with that said yeah those are my options of guys who you can safely trade the number 10 pick for take on their salary of six to eight million dollars and not jeopardize your max cap space for the seven to nine year max guys um what about TJ Warren? 10.8 million. No, right? Uh, yeah, that's a no for me. Yeah, that's a no for me. This is just a scoring guy uh, that you pretty much already have Kyle Kuzma for. Um, so yeah, those are my options. I guess to close the show, I'm just going to ask you some more questions and scenarios and you just give me your thoughts. So at the number 10 spot, I don't, we haven't even talked about this in our, our message thread, but do you think the Lakers would draft a European player or a draft in stash, a la the Sixers and Dario Saric? I don't know if that player exists. I don't think that player exists. Um, but if that player did exist, then I think absolutely this would be. In fact, I think that there would be more of the hype that uh, they would do something like that just because of all the cap considerations um, that, you know, in, in terms of we're trying to keep everything, uh, keep our books tight this year. So I think that this is actually a perfect candidate year for that. It's just so rare that those types of guys are taken in the lottery. Um and when they are, you kind of know about them for a variety of reasons. I mean, like one being that most teams picking in the lottery want the guy to come right away. Um, 
Mm-hmm. But I, I think they would. I, I just don't think that guy exists. Uh, now, with regards to trading, let's say they do trade it, but not in the way that we expect. Do you think the Lakers can trade down? <laughs> do you think the Lakers can trade down less than the money commitment of their first round draft pick, maybe get future draft pick compensation back, but also maybe get an established role player who can help them win now? I do. I think trade downs are always in play. Um, you look at the the board here and there's a few teams. Boston has multiple picks. Um, maybe they want to trade up, uh, you know, maybe like you said, a team is willing to use their own pick this year plus future draft compensation to move up. Um, maybe it ends up being some sort of, you know, combination of picks that we send and other teams, who knows, but those are always in play. Um, I won't say that I will say that, yeah, there's a chance. I will not say that I think it's going to happen because I think it's just so hard to predict. I think so many of those types of moves, happen on draft night for a reason, right? Because it's like you saw with the Trey Young Luca thing last year. It's a guy slips to maybe not where everybody expected that he might, and a team slightly below that gets intrigued. So let's say Boston has Sacramento's pick this year, which is I can't remember if that pick is lotto protected or not, but let's say they have their pick, which ends up being 14. They have their own pick, which is currently slotted at around 20. Um, maybe they trade both of those to move up to 10. If a guy like a Brandon Clark slips to number 10 or a DeAndre Hunter slips to number 10 and Boston, you know, is not put off by the guy's age because they're a win now team and blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, you know, all these reasons. And they make an aggressive push in that type of scenario. Maybe I will say the counter to that is obviously that in for a team that's trying to keep their books as tight as possible, I don't know that we're necessarily looking to add more picks. Um, for a team that mm-hmm. is already has eight young guys on guaranteed contracts, like going into next season, seven or eight, I can't remember. It's like half your roster is going to younger players already next season. I don't know that we're looking to double down on our one pick this year. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's always a possibility. Yeah, if, if that trade exists and the Lakers can maybe get, let's say, a late first rounder and also a player who's only making $6 million that can help them immediately, maybe not of the same caliber as Montrezl Harrell or any of the guys I mentioned. Yeah, then do that. I just don't know if that trade exists. And if the Lakers didn't have a top 10 lotto pick, I'd say this would be more likely and actually what I thought would happen. Like, let's say we had made the playoffs and had the number 17th pick and we're trading down to number 28 or even a, an early second round pick that would be unguaranteed money. That would have made a lot more sense to me. And you'd be preserving as much cap space as you can and maybe even putting yourself into the $38 million Kevin Durant level of contention. But when it comes to having the number nine or number 10 pick, I think it's just too much value there to kind of nonchalantly give away, even if it is to you know trade down and hopefully get value in other areas. So yeah, if the Lakers get a top four pick, and let's say it's a non-Zion top four pick, because I think you'd agree that if we got Zion Williamson... We just keep that dude, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's just like getting Anthony Davis. Dude is good. <laughs> dude is really good. So let's say the Lakers get jump into the top four and get a non-Zion pick. Does that make it more likely or less likely, in your opinion, that the Lakers trade it? It makes it more likely that they trade it, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. But I still think it's overall relatively unlikely. I think before I said, you know, their chances of trading it are, uh, well, I guess that was a different scenario. But I, I, I think it's, it's, yeah. I, I still don't think they trade it. There are other guys in the top four who are, you know, have a lot of upside, um, and you never know. It's like in this type of draft, even if you're not like the Wizards are not going to be. Well, I guess they have a chance, but let, let's say the Wizards are not for whatever reason, shopping Brad Beal or somebody of that caliber, they're scouting the same draft. If they don't think that anybody other than Zion, which they very likely will, don't think that anybody other than Zion is worth that their caliber of a player in Beal, then you know they're not going to make that type of trade. I don't know. I can't think of that many cases where teams trade top four picks for um, you know non stars, but. Then again, we're kind of in a unique situation because we are a 
in that in your scenario right now, we would be a top four pick, a top four team in terms of picks that's also trying to win now, which never happens. <laughs> and in fact, you could make the mm-hmm. argument that in fact, when those two things do align, they do trade the pick. You saw with Kevin Love being traded for Wiggins and. Uh, I'm sure there are other examples I can't think of. Oh, the uh, Ray Allen for Jeff Green, uh, number five pick. Yep. So, you know, the, the, in that case, maybe you're right. Um, I still don't think we traded on draft night. I think we wait to see who we sign. But in that case, you're probably right that either that pick or one of our current young guys, one or the other, has a pretty high chance of getting traded and more likely the pick and because, like you were talking about, the continuity. If the Lakers jump into the top four and have a non-Zion pick, at that point, even taking into consideration Brandon Ingram's injury, I think that's the only other scenario where the Lakers would be able to get the New Orleans Pelicans or the Washington Wizards to bat an eye. Because let's say a team that isn't willing to take on an Anthony Davis rental gets Zion Williamson, and they're not going to be able to trade with the New Orleans Pelicans, right? Let's say the Lakers get the number two pick and... They can get John Morant, R.J. Barrett, Jarrett Culver, whoever else is out there. At that point, regardless of the hard stance the Pelicans and Gail Benson, is that her name? Yeah, Gail Benson has taken to not make a trade with the Lakers. If the options around them aren't very great or aren't great at all, and uh, Kyrie Irving's going to New York, so the Boston thing is out of out of the equation, and like I said, the Knicks don't have Zion Williamson, and it's some other... It's like the Orlando Magic who are not going to trade Zion Williamson for Anthony Davis. And at this point, who's going to trade Zion Williamson for Anthony Davis anyways, right? Not not to mention a, a rental of Anthony Davis. Right. If the Lakers have the number two pick and it's Ja Morant, and they still include, let's say, Lonzo Ball or Kyle Kuzma, I think at that point, the New Orleans Pelicans would have to highly consider that. And, and even the Washington Wizards, right? I know Bradley Beal's all they've got now. And he's been balling out, had a career season, et cetera, et cetera. But given their cap situation, would it benefit them to take on Kyle Kuzma, Lonzo Ball, and also get Ja Morant or whoever they want at that number two pick? So I think for me, that's why if the Lakers jump into the top four, I think it's more likely that they shop that pick around and at least try and get the New Orleans Pelicans and the Washington Wizards re-engaged in some sort of trade discussions. Whether or not they're able to consummate a deal, I don't know, but... uh, I think at the top four, you still have enough value, even if it's not Zion Williamson, to re-engage and get those top, those teams with the top players, superstar players who you're willing to jeopardize your cap space for, get those teams back into play, get those players back into play on draft night. So, uh, so if the Lakers do trade their draft pick, I think both of us are in agreement that they probably do so after free agency whether that's after free agency and they've struck out or after free agency and they've gotten Kemba Walker. Um, we briefly discussed this over a message thread, but let's say the Lakers are able to sign a Kemba Walker. Do you think at that point they would just sit on their assets and take another wait-and-see approach into the season? Or do you think then they quickly pivot and say, okay, we've got Kemba Walker and LeBron James now. Let's package our whoever we drafted at number 10 package that guy with Kyle Kuzma, Alonzo Ball, and Brandon Ingram and try and get that third star. And it's important to clarify that the Lakers would have to include all of those young prospects because once you've used up your cap space on a Kemba Walker type player, you're going to need to match salary at that point. You can't use cap space anymore to just take on right. anybody. Right. So any trade that happens, if you're trying to get another a third superstar guy, that guy is for sure going to be making at least $20 million, and you're going to need all the salary you can get, which means Brandon Ingram's $8 million, Lonzo Ball's $7 million, even throwing in Kyle Kuzma's $2 million will help in that respect, the draft picks $4 million, et cetera, et cetera. You need all of them. So in that scenario, do you think even that's likely? I don't think that's likely, and maybe I'm in the minority here. I actually, I'm not sure what your stance on this is, so I'm curious to hear. But <laughs> I don't think it's likely. I think that the Lakers' plan has always to been, excuse me, always been to get two guys. I think the media is going to say what the media is going to say, and everybody wants to think LeBron is going to be associated with like these three-headed monster teams forever. Um, but like you also have to recall when the Cavs made the trade. The Cavs already had Kyrie and they signed LeBron. There's your two stars. But when they made the trade to get Kevin Love, 
sure they traded, you know, plenty of good assets for him um, and plenty of picks, but they did not gut their entire roster. They still had Tristan Thompson. They still had guys who were contri- uh, contributors. And I think that the Lakers recognize that it's not the three-headed monster. Like you look at the teams that are among the top teams in the entire NBA. I would say the Raptors are a depth team. Kyle Lowry is not, you know, Kyle Lowry from like four years ago. Um, And besides Kawhi, to me, it's just a bunch of pretty mediocre players. Um, They're good. They're solid, but they're not, you wouldn't say that there's obviously three stars there. The Bucks are the best record in the NBA, or one of the best teams in the NBA. Um, they have maybe the MVP in Giannis. Chris Middleton is an all-star, but he is an all-star by virtue of being on the Bucks. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So he is – and after that, it's just like they just have a lot of depth. Um, the Celtics, obviously, they have their stars, but Gordon Hayward is not Gordon Hayward. Al Horv- you know, I could, I could list off all the teams. You can go down. The Warriors are an anomaly – the LeBron's old teams are an anomaly. I think the recipe is clearly two stars in depth. And I think that that was the plan they had when they came in. And that was their plan with Paul George. Um, if that wasn't their plan with Paul George, I think they would have burned their assets to trade for Paul George, you know, like traded Randall and Ingram or whoever for Paul George. I, I, I when they had the chance, I, I just think that, like you said, if we sign a second star, it would take everything else on our roster to trade for a third star, making, you know, 20 to mm-hmm. 25 plus. And I just don't see us doing that. Then what? You're left with literally nothing, no assets, no depth, and you're going to fill out your roster with a bunch of JaVale McGee, you know, uh, Lance Stevenson <laughs> type signings again. And I actually shouldn't even put JaVale because he had a pretty solid season overall, but you're going to fill out your roster with Tyson Chandler type guys. Like that doesn't really seem like it's going to take you anywhere. Um, I think I, I, I don't find it likely that they trade their entire team for, for any third star, even if it, okay. If it's Anthony Davis, maybe, but, <laughs> but other than that, I, I, I don't <laughs> think they do. Yeah. I was going to say the only scenario where I do this is if it's for Anthony Davis. And obviously once the Lakers use up their cap space, then they can sign an MLE guy who will help in the salary ballast of all that. You know what I mean? Cause right. an MLE guy is probably going to make like $5 million. So that helps. If they sign, if they're able to sign somebody this summer, they will use the MLE like it's intended to be used. Not like we've been using it, right? Like we always give it to like either a one year overpay for a really crappy player, or we split it up between a bunch of even worse players you know what i mean so it's like we would actually be able to use it for like sign a dude to like a four-year deal those like nobody wants to sign anybody long term if you're going in with a full mle for four years you're going to be a very that's a very attractive contract you can get a pretty good player for that yeah so yeah I, i wouldn't do it for anybody but anthony davis and that's in this scenario where the lakers get a kemba walker and sort of win the summer right yeah in the event that they have to punt again and get a deandre jordan then definitely not you have to wait anyways for anthony davis the next year so hold your horses and keep your assets and use those assets when it comes time to use them um so yeah there's a lot of juggling that the lakers have to do obviously and it's not again summary of this entire episode it's not as simple as they need a win now, so they, they're going to trade that pick and we don't need to do our draft homework. I don't know if some people say that just because they don't want to get into it. I don't know how you felt having to put your draft cap back on. In some ways, I'm excited. In other ways, I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this again. So I can sort of understand the sentiment where it's like, I don't really want to care about this anyway. So let's just say that they are trading the pick. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, I definitely understand the sentiment. Um and I did not expect us uh, at this point in March to be talking about all that, all this stuff. So it, it is, in that sense, very depressing. Um, but <laughs> at the same time, it's you have to be realistic. It's it's in most scenarios, most like realistic. Like you said, we ran through all these hypotheticals where we would trade the pick. God knows if any of those other teams would trade for with us. They probably wouldn't in most cases. You're going to most likely get the most value out of that pick by keeping it for purposes of the summer. And I just think we have to accept that in most scenarios, it, it makes the most sense to keep it. 
And at the very least, you're going to see some random player hold up a Lakers cap, so you'd probably at least want to know who that guy is, right? Even if he doesn't last till the start of the season. So uh, with that said, that'll do it for our episode. Thank you for listening. We've got a lot of time, unfortunately, to keep talking about all these different hypothetical scenarios. And yeah. Um, And also the Lakers are still playing, apparently. So we'll see where their final tank spot lands. And Obviously, a lot more talk when they actually, when the ping pong balls bounce and we see where exactly the Lakers land, if they jump into the top four or stay in that eight, nine, ten range. Uh, and it's gonna be lit. Yeah. I just ran a simulator on tankathon.com and we won the number one pick. So well, there you go, everybody. <laughs> Zion. Listen to this. <laughs> oh, God, that would be so amazing. All right. Anyways, lots of time to talk about it. Uh, thank you guys for listening. As usual, follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please rate and review us on iTunes. That'll help us out a lot. Um, and yeah, Tommy, I'll catch you later. Later. We got to watch this Lakers game, right? Right. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.